Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. I'm going to throw out a couple things to you here this morning, and I want you to stop and think. These are a couple phrases or words that uh, really one of them is, is the biggest of all of them. But as we talk this morning, we're going to continue really right in on where we left off last week, and we're going to be uh, finishing out uh, the book of first or the chapter number two in First Peter. But if I throw out this word equal rights, if I throw out the thought of just rights in general, or maybe the word privilege, we all have a different thing. I could say equal rights, and everybody in this room would have a different thought. We hear it all the time. We see it on the news. We hear it in everything that we do um, because every one of us in this room have rights and we all have equal rights. And in the day and age in which we live, it's a huge controversial political type of a thing, right? It's equal rights. We all have the right to health care. We all have the right to this and we all have the right to that. And if you're a female or if you are a male or if you are somewhere in the air floating in between there, whatever it might be, we all have to have a right. This morning, as we dive into God's word, we're going to look at something that really... All of those things happen in many different ways, but inside of the context of your workplace, everybody has a legal right. See, in Peter, when Peter was writing this down, Peter was in the midst of slavery. So most of the workers, most of the workforce were not people like you and I who have a legal right inside of your job. People in that day and age that Peter was writing to had no right. Most of them in the the world of slavery in that day and age, they were hardly even recognized as human beings, let alone having a right. Their right was, you do what I tell you to do. They had no right. And so today we look at those things, we look at equal rights, we look at all of that, and we look at it in a different world. And when we look at it like this, what Peter was writing, and he was saying to those people, they did not get a 15-minute break if they worked two hours straight. They didn't get time off for having a child. They didn't get to go to the union when they're, they were grieved as an as a employee underneath of a boss. They didn't have any of those things. See, some of the slave owners treated them amazing. Some of the slaves, after their period of time, if you don't know, there was a period of time and they could get out of that. They could buy out. They could do different things and actually leave the family, leave their slave owner in the biblical day. Some of them chose to stay because they were treated as if they were family. Slaves did a lot of things. Others were completely treated subhuman. See, when we get into this passage this morning, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this particular area, but Peter said to to those that he was writing to in, in verse number 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. 
wait a second. I have no rights. I'm being treated poorly. I am, I, I, I'm hardly even a human being. But yet, I'm supposed to subject myself, I'm supposed to submit myself under this man, and I'm supposed to honor him, and I'm supposed to, to, to wait, time out. And Peter was saying to those in that day, submit yourself under your boss. Wait a second. 2017. I'll say this. God's word hasn't changed one bit. It is still our duty to submit ourselves to our master. In this regard, it can be used in our workplace or whatever that would be. Last week we talked about the government, that we would submit ourselves under the authority, the governing body that is over us. Hey, it's no different when it comes to this. These people were treated as garbage. Literally, hardly even human beings. But yet Peter says, submit yourselves. This morning, Peter had taught and was teaching they would submit to the authority over them. He goes on to say whether the, uh, they treat you great or however they treat you. That they would submit. That we would subject ourselves. That they would subject themselves. Whether it was right or wrong and how they were treated. He goes on to say that. And we'll read it in a moment but. It's really easy to submit yourself under somebody that's going to treat you kind. But when you're treated poorly, submit yourself. This morning, the title of the sermon is an example of submission. And we're not going to spend a ton of time in this these first couple verses. The first few verses are dealing specifically with our workplace and submission, and it was really, I, I could have tied it in with last week, but it was one of those time constraints, and I, yeah, so I, I tried to kind of break it up, but when we look at this idea, and we look at these thoughts of submission, when we look at all of these things, it's difficult but a large portion of the church body that Peter was dealing with were slaves. And so if you can imagine sitting in a room just like this, though that's not really how they did church back in those days, but if you can imagine, we'll just take our, our context, and the majority of you are slaves, and then a good portion of you are slave owners, and we're serving together. This is our church is made up of. Slaves and slave owners. So you've got the slaves who are literally in the world's eyes viewed as subhuman. And then you've got the, the slave owner who is over here who is uh, even inside the church. Oftentimes they were controlling. They were, they were treating their slaves as, as poorly, whatever it would be. And so you see Peter writing and he's telling these slave owners or the slaves, many of which have come to know Christ. Can you imagine? You have no freedoms at all. Zero freedoms at all. You're made as dirt. You're treated as dirt. You're subhuman. But yet you come to a realization that, oh my, God loves me. 
Jesus Christ came for me. He gave his life for me. I'm nobody. I am worthless. I'm nothing. Now all of a sudden I go to work. Man, I've come from a place of I'm worthless to now I am, I am God's son. I am heir of the throne. I am royalty. Hey, I'm coming to work, boss. And the slave owner says, whoa, get to work. You may have that at church, but you come to work and you're my slave. Peter's kind of reminding them, hey, you, that freedom that you have in Christ, yes, you have that. But when you come here, you've got to kind of remember where you're at in some regards. But he says, subject yourself under that person, whether it be good or bad. And he goes on to say this, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward in verse 18. For 19, it says, for this is what? Thank worthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongly. For what glory is it if ye or if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even under or, or verse twenty one, for even hereunto were ye called. So we come to this place and in this passage of scripture and Peter is writing and Peter is, is teaching and telling them this. And a lot of that is continuation of last week. And as we continue to move forward in this passage of Scripture, I believe it takes it to a deeper spot. I believe in many regards, he, uh, Peter writes and gives us a, a reminder. He reminds us of our example. He reminds us of why. He reminds us of a lot of things He says that being in subjection is favorable. It is commendable. It is is that we would find favor with for for taking on those things. If you remember last week, for the Lord's sake. Last week it was mentioned that in submitting ourselves to the Lord, we are saying yes. Yes, God, I believe that you are sovereign. Yes, God, I have trust in who you are. I believe in everything that you've said. I believe in the things that you said you would do. I believe in all of those things, and I'm trusting in that. My faith is in this. Remember last week, under the government side of things, we are to submit under the government whether you like the leader or you don't like the leader, whether whatever that is. We talked about that last week. And I am saying, in trusting and in submitting to the government, I am saying, God, You are sovereign. God, you placed them there. You are the one who put government together. And so you know what you're doing. Hey, it's the same thing in your situation with work or whatever else. When we submit ourselves, we are saying, God, I trust that you are exactly who you said you are, that you will do exactly what you said you will do, and you, God, are sovereign in all things. In essence, that's really what we're doing. We looked at that a little bit last week. And so as we continue today, we look at submission, that it is that we would find favor. But he goes on and he takes it a step further, that it's not just that I would submit, but I would submit even when it's not good. Under hardship, under suffering. One of the things I have said several times over the course of the last couple of years is this. And I 
I feel like the more that I grow in my walk with God, the more that I really, really, really believe this to be 100% true. It is that our actions are always connected with our doctrine. Our actions are always connected with our doctrine. Because if I really wholeheartedly believe in this doctrine, then I am going to wholeheartedly act according to that doctrine. Do we understand? Let's look at the culture in which we live. There is a religion that is growing faster than any religion on the face of this earth right now. I don't have to tell you the name. You know what it is. Do you know why it's doing so? Because there's a group of people that believe in a doctrine, whether it's right or wrong, they believe in a doctrine so much so, they die every day on that behalf. So much so that really there's almost an entire war around, like a world war based on that one thing. Why? Because people believe so wholeheartedly in the doctrine that they have adhered to that their actions speak of what they believe and what they're, doct- what they're being taught. As a believer, it should be the same exact way. If I believe in the doctrines of God's word and I stand firm on the doctrines of God's word, my actions ought to then back up what I would say that I believe on Sunday. And so when I am taught on Sunday or when I read my Bible, or you come to church on Sunday and we, we stand and we, amen, and God is good, and blah, blah, blah. When you do that on Sunday, on Monday morning at your workplace, it should not be any different. I would say this. It is. For if it wasn't, there's a lot of things that we would see that, that we see today that we would not see. And this would take us back a long time. We often go back to, well, when prayer was taken out of school. Right? If we had never taken prayer out of schools, would you know who let prayer be taken out of schools? It's government, but who puts people in government? People put people in government. The same group of people that say, yes, we are whatever the percentage of of Christianity is. We're the same group of people that put those same people in government that choose to do what they do. And I'm not getting into politics this morning, but again, it goes back. If my doctrine is, my actions would walk. And so as we get into this passage, again, as we continue moving and looking at the example in suffering, the reality is we serve the greatest in and through our suffering. Just think about that. Your witness is greatest in the midst of your suffering. Whether that is in the midst of Physical harm, in the sense, not physical harm, but physical health. Maybe things are rough. It could be a detrimental disease. It could be a number of different things, whatever it would be. But as you are in the midst of that suffering, and you 
have joy upon your face and you speak of Christ and you honor the nurses and you do those things, your testimony speaks volumes in the midst of that. The same as if you are literally under physical persecution or or suffering. Your testimony speaks volumes. And it's no different. And that's what Peter was telling the people then. Peter witnessed this firsthand. As he watched Christ go to the cross. And Christ was submitting himself under the authorities of those that were arresting him. Of those that would take him. I shared it last week and we all know it. I love the story of it. Peter grabs the sword, slices the the dude's ear off. A man's man. You're not taking my God. Jesus looks at him, slaps the ear back on the guy's head, which in and of itself is really cool to me. But (laughs) I don't know. I just I love that stuff. I'm like, eh, hey, dude, there you go. Like at that point in and of itself, if I'm arresting Jesus, if he just took your ear and just smacked it on the side of your head and you were like completely healed, somebody would go, wait, time out. That dude is real. Like, anyway. Peter stands there and sees Christ submit the way that he is now teaching others to submit. We lead by serving and serve by suffering. It's in suffering that always brings glory and honor to Christ. And it's not that if you're not suffering, you can't honor, but we lead by serving. And in our suffering, we serve. I've got to get into this. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start again. I'll read verse 18 through 25. And we'll get to the points this morning. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the God... Or to the good, to the good and gentle, I'll learn to read here, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God, for even hereunto were ye called Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Father God, I ask that you would use your words to pierce our hearts. It is always my prayer that our folks, whether members or regular attenders or first-time guests, would always come and be encouraged by being around your people. But it's also that they would be challenged personally in their walk with you as they leave. Maybe today there is one that does not know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, that today you would prick their heart that they may come to you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. An example of submission is the title. My first point this morning is a perfect standard. 
a perfect standard. I think for each and every one of us, whether whatever style or whatever, uh, not style, but wherever it is that you go to work, whatever uh, it is that you do on a regular basis, there are certain things that we look to and say, this would be the standard. For me, in work, and what I do every single day, I look to different people, I look at different churches, I listen to different sermons, I follow different websites, I look at all these different things and I think, how can we as Oasis be a little bit better? How can we look a little bit sharper? How can we do this? How can we do that? We kind of look at it and we go, well, that's a good standard to set. Let's, let's try to reach for that. We always try to be whatever. There is no greater standard, no greater example than that of Christ. He was absolutely perfect. Jesus walked and talked. He never sinned. It says that he never even had deceit or guile in his mouth. He was one of the one of of anyone who ever lived who had reason to cry out about his rights as he was being arrested and taken before a council. See, for you and I, I think we have a natural pride, a natural whatever that would inside of us say, wait a second, you're not going to do that to me. We have that Peter in us where we're going to take the sword and slice off an ear. Jesus, in all of his uh, perfection, stood there and gave you and I an example. Think about this, Jesus is suffering If we were to look in verses 21 through 25 is really where we're spending the bulk of our time this morning. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. His suffering was redemptive. It gave us hope. It also shows that, that, uh, that one may be absolutely in tune with God, and yet bad things still happen to them. I don't know about you, and I, I know for me there's times in my life where I've thought, God, I'm doing all these things, and I'm doing the right thing. How could you allow this to happen to me? Have you ever heard that? Has anybody ever said anything like that similar to you? But he's a good person. They're a good person. Maybe even inside the church you stop and you go, man, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, my family's in church. Like everything that you would think that you should do to be a great Christian, I've got it. I'm checking the boxes and I'm not saying that in a, in a negative tone, but I'm doing all of those things. But yet, why would I get cancer? Why would my family be stricken with some type of financial crisis? Why, God? We have an example of a guy, Jesus, who kind of did absolutely nothing wrong. He had the perfect relationship with his father. He taught them. He healed them. He showed them everything that you would need to see to have a relationship. And yet... We see that he was arrested. He was put on a cross. He did all of those things. It allows us to look and say, hey, time out. Let me take a step back. If Christ, if Christ can be who Christ is and God allowed this to happen to him, uh, I'm really not perfect. I'm not hanging on the cross for your sins. 
All right, God, I guess though I don't understand it, it's, it's okay. Jesus' suffering was completely unjust and wasn't for his own sake. I never really looked at it in this regard, but I will never have to take on the sin of any other person. I have to do my best to deal with my own sin. I, and even at that, here's the good part. I don't have to deal with that either, other than to say, God, I'm wretched, I'm wicked, I need a Savior. Because He already dealt with my sin. Jesus was doing all of these things, and He, he suffered He set a standard of suffering. He set a standard of all of those things of absolute perfection. Yet he did all of that as a redemptive nature in redemption for you and I to come to know him. He is such an example to us. I don't know if you've ever studied the word example. I never really did. But an example is this, and we don't really use this too much, but... It used to be on all of your credit cards, and you would sign your credit cards. There was a carbon copy underneath of it. Literally, the word example is, it's that. It's, it's that of a writing term, that it is copied absolutely to perfection. So on that carbon copy, you sign your name, you write your address, you do whatever, and it copies all the way through to the next piece of paper and so on and so forth. And it's an example. It's a, it's a copy of, and that's the exact point there, that we are to be an example. We are to be a copy of Christ. We have a perfect example. We need to live in such a manner to the best of our ability. He unjustly suffered for our sin, something we'll never have to do. But not only that, he was unjustly beaten and suffered Though he committed no sin, nor did he even have any deceit, no wickedness in his thoughts, in his mind, in his mouth. Peter, over and over in this passage, in these next couple verses, goes right back to Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Then said, I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Yet Jesus had none of that in his mouth. Jesus was mocked, he was spat upon, he he listened to cruel things and things that were said to him, things that were done to him. And as Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not, not his mouth. The humility of Christ, the strength. Some people say, well, he didn't say anything. He was weak. He was weak. When you don't say anything at work, and when you don't open your mouth, and when you don't stand up for yourself, and you don't do some of those things, oh, they're just weak. I would say the exact opposite of Christ. For if there was anybody that was strong, it was the one that was able to keep his tongue. I, for one, know one thing about me. I often need to just keep my tongue. I wish I was strong enough sometimes to just shut my mouth. Because there's times that I say things, and you go, why did I just say that? Whether it be to my children. Sometimes you do it, and just being sarcastic, and just trying to be goofy. And then you're like, man... I shouldn't have done it. Jesus had none of that. 
There was none of that. In his strength, he, in his humility, he gave us the absolute perfect example of submission. And he said, Peter was writing here and he said to those slaves, and to you and I really, hey, sometimes you have the right. Most times we just need to not do it. Sometimes you may even have the authority. But we just need to not do it. Did Jesus have the authority? Oh yeah, he did. Jesus could have in an instant with all of those that came to arrest him, he could have in an instant immediately sent them and cast them all into an eternal lake of fire. He could have condemned them forever. But Jesus went to a cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could have in an instant, we know, we say it all the time, we sing this song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have spoken, he could have done anything that he wanted to do, and every single person around him would have been wiped out, and he would have shown the strength, and shown his authority, and shown his power. But no, he stopped. He submitted unto his Father, because that was what was in front of him, And he gave you and he gave me a standard, an example of what it was to submit. A perfect substitute. Second thought is that of a perfect substitute. He was a perfect standard. He set a standard for us to look to that we could do our best to attain and, and strive to, uh, to watch and to look and to be that example, He also was a perfect substitute. The sinner's substitute. Not a martyr, but a Savior. A sinless substitute. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. His substitution is one of the, or is of the most importance, that he became for you and I a perfect substitute. As we go into this passage in 24, it says, Who is his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Something that we as believers should never be able to get over is that He Himself, that He Himself took on our sin. Jesus Christ, the only one who could ever sufficiently take on the sin of all mankind, bore and took on our sin, took on my sin. He's the only one that could carry the weight of sin upon his shoulders. And he took that sin, your sin, my sin, he took it to the cross. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, it says this, that the earth groans and travails in pain. You know why? Because of the weight of sin upon the earth. 
Think about that. The earth groans and wails. It it has the pains. That pains is, is literally the birth pains, like that of a mother giving birth. The birth pains of a mother. It says the earth travails because of the weight of sin. And it is that weight that Christ carried upon his shoulders as my substitute hanging upon a cross. Listen, there's nothing that any of you or I could do to carry that weight. It literally brings us to a point of death. I don't know about you, there's different times in my life where I've allowed sin to get to a point where it was such a burden, it was such a weight upon my shoulders that it physically hurt me, and it got me to a place where I was broken. It tore me up. We watch it on the news all the time. Sin destroys lives. Sin is real. You watch TV, you look at these different things. I don't know about you, but I, I, I wish, I, I, I often say, why, 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 even though I know what it is. But I watch Hollywood stars, I watch professional athletes, I watch uh, people that have more money than they know what to do with, that, that people just fawn over them, that people, they're, they're famous, and everybody just wants to be them, and wants to be like them, and wants to do all these things, and what do we see? We see drugs, we see overdosing, we see all of these things of suicide, and all of these things, why? Because sin does not cover money, or I should say, money doesn't cover sin, fame does not cover sin, None of those things covered the weight of sin. And when sin reigns inside of our body, it overtakes us to the point of death. God's Word said it from the very beginning. If you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. Hey, in 2017, we continue to eat of the fruit of the tree. We will die. And God says, hey, I sent my son, and he is going to be your redemption. He is going to be a perfect substitute for your sin, and he's going to carry that. He's going to take the weight to the cross. Just allow him to do it. Accept him. Take on that, that he wants to be that substitute. And over and over and over in our lives... Sin destroys. It destroys. It kills. Have you ever seen a person who's been eaten alive by drugs? You ever seen a 20 or 30 year old man or woman who is just addicted to drugs and how their physical bodies, what it does to them physically? It destroys. We live in a town, Sin City, where sex sells. Yeah, we have beautiful women that do things downtown, whatever it was. But let me tell you, their bodies would tell you completely different. Because sin destroys. Their minds would tell you completely different. Because sin destroys. There's a reason that we support a ministry that deals with those folks. Why? Because sin is real. And Jesus Christ came as a substitute. He came as a perfect substitute to take upon 
that as Christ submitted himself to God, that he would therefore be a substitute for us. It was his burden of sin that allowed for you and I to die to sin and to live in righteousness. Just stop and think about that. It was the burden of sin that allowed for you and I to die to sin and live in righteousness because Jesus Christ submitted Himself under the authority when He did not have to to be a substitute for you and I. It gives us transformation from sinner to saint. He died that we might live. He was wounded that we might be healed. Lastly, this morning, a perfect shepherd. A perfect shepherd. Going through this passage, we see last week it was a submission of government. This week, we looked briefly for the submission of of our boss or whatever it would be, that submission and work. And then we come through and we see this, even if it takes suffering. And then Peter goes right into all of these things that Jesus took that suffering so that he could be an example, so that we could see it. And then he says this in verse 25, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I have found so much comfort in different things throughout my life. But I would say as I have tried to grow and as I have tried to seek after Christ. I've never really suffered in the sense of anything that this is talking about. If I were to just be real honest. There's been times in my life that I would say it wasn't just There were things that took place to me that I would say, well, that wasn't, why would that happen? I didn't do that. There was things that I could say, yeah, that's, that wasn't done properly, this wasn't done properly, but I've never suffered in the way that this is really speaking of. I've never been in a situation like this. But areas in my life where I can, or I would maybe say that I, If we use the word suffering, where I suffered, there's one thing that I can always go back to. And it may be this verse. For though we were as sheep going astray, now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. God has always been the shepherd looking after his sheep. God has always been that God. See, I was never too far in my life away from him that he wasn't attempting to come and to reach out and to keep me. I was never too far, and I would say the same thing to you and I, regardless of where you are, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what you may look at today as suffering, and it may be in your eyes today, you may look at it and say, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is, I am suffering right now. This, and it, for you right now, that may be. But we can't get too far ahead to say this, that God is the perfect shepherd. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, just similar as it says here in this passage in 25. We have gone astray. 
as I just said, sin is real. And it will do many things to you and I that we never, ever, ever thought would take place. But it says this. The Lord caused the the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He took upon, he was, as it said that that last thought, he was a perfect substitute. And he's also the perfect shepherd. In the Old Testament, the sheep would die for the shepherd. Now the shepherd died for the sheep. We've all been the lost sheep. We've all been the one that was astray. Maybe today you would sit here and you still may be astray. You still may have never come back to the, or come to the Lord in the sense of salvation and seeing that. You may be lost and wandering or in danger and away from the safe place, unable to help yourself. And you needed a shepherd to die and to take that place. Most in this room would say, yes, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And you have recognized all of those things and you have sought out the shepherd in that regard. It says that we were continually straying. We were aimlessly wandering is what this verse is saying. For ye were as sheep going astray, continually straying, dangerously searching, seeking something to cling to. This morning we are a sheep. Most of us are with sheep that have a shepherd. That sit in this room. There may be times in your Christian life. That you would feel like you're the. You're the one out of the herd. We are driving along throughout the states. From here to Ohio and back. And there's a lot of cows and a lot of pastures. And every once in a while you would see one aimless cow. Just out there. And then you would drive for a period of time and you would see a whole herd of them on the other side. And you think, well, how did that one get all the way over there all by itself? Sometimes we feel like that. I am the one sheep that's just miles away from everybody else. Sometimes we felt like that before coming to know Christ. But the shepherd is a term that that, that Christ would, would be that, that, that he, would, uh, he, he was our pastor, he's a pastor, basically is what that is, that term of shepherd and, and bishop, that, that the pastor, that Christ would, would, would wrangle us in, would bring us in, that would, would love us and care for us and watch out for us. And listen, I wish I could say I'm the perfect shepherd as a, as a pastor that sits here this morning. I'm not. But I'm going to do my best to guide and direct the way that God would lead. But we have a perfect shepherd, a leader, a feeder, a protector, a cleanser, a restorer. And the reality is we are like sheep and need a shepherd. I wonder at times. I am gullible. I become dirty. I become defenseless. I am defenseless. This passage here says that he is the shepherd and the bishop of 
or the bishop or the guardian of your soul. Jesus cares for his flock. And he loves and gave and gives himself for us. And Peter was saying this as I close this morning. As we live godly lives and submit in times of suffering, we are following Christ's example. And we become more and more like him. We do so for the sake of the lost, for the Lord's sake, and for our own sake, that we would grow spiritually and become more like Him. I've said this now, I said it last week, I'll say it again this week, I've said it over and over and over again. People are watching. People are watching. Last week it was how we respond to the government. This week, that first little bit was our response in our workplace. When you're treated poorly or you're treated good, whatever it would be, but that we would submit under that. And then as we looked at the end of this passage, that we have a perfect standard. We have a perfect substitute. We have a perfect shepherd. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.